0: we begin a passage that you're probably very familiar with. It's, the, it's uh, Jesus begins taking these different uh, portions of the law at the first part, and then he just takes uh, other uh, applications uh, later on that are not specific to the law. For instance, turning the other cheek and, and uh, going the extra mile and things like that. But for these first few passages here, first few paragraphs, depending on how your Bible is, is laid out, uh, you'll see that uh, several of them have to do with the Ten Commandments. And he chose several of these Ten Commandments to recall to the people's minds how God's laws uh, had been interpreted in the past. But then he takes that interpretation, explains their full and complete meaning as God had originally intended them to be understood and interpreted. And in this passage, we see he begins his, the whole discourse with the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill... And uh, within this little paragraph here, we see uh, a pattern. So if you catch the pattern in this paragraph, then it'll make sense uh, in, the, in, the, in the following paragraphs here. He will begin with a common traditional interpretation or the common traditional understanding. This is what the passage means. This is how it's applied. Then he's going to uh, the second part is to reinterpret the passage, not to take a new meaning from what the passage meant, but rather to realign us with the original meaning and then at some some of the places, most of the places, he'll give illustration uh, to that. Uh, so we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at the first two parts, the old interpretation or the traditional interpretation, and then contrasted with Jesus' new or divine interpretation. Tonight, we'll, and we will briefly look at the illustration there because it helps us to understand the application. But tonight we'll come back and unpack the uh, the third part a little bit. Uh, a little bit more uh, we we begin here in verse let's just right jump right in and really we're going to jump in beginning in verse number 20 because that's what helps us to understand the context of everything that he's about to say if we don't get verse 20 as we looked at last week we're going to get a very different understanding of verse 21 as i said at the very beginning of the of the sermon on the mount uh, many people would look at this as a list of to do's and if you take these out of context, they're very impossible. They don't make any sense. Why would you turn the other cheek? Why would you go an extra mile? Why would you not hate? What's wrong with anger is what we're looking at today. Would you rather someone be angry with you or murder you? So if we take them out of context and we don't understand what Jesus is in, is teaching here and what the original intention was of the law, uh, we're going to come away with a brand new uh, brand new. Uh, understanding that, that God had not intended for us to have. So let's begin in verse number 20 and make sure that we, we really come at it with a uh, from the, the proper starting place. Jesus says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And... Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I said 20 is, is a very important foundational verse. Likewise, verse number 17 there, what we also looked at last week about how he had not come to change the law he has come to fulfill the law. And so we won't go belabor that point, but if we keep that in mind, then we understand when Jesus comes with these, but I say unto you, it may sound like Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to change things up here and I'm going to do something different. That's not what he's doing because he said, I have not come to change the law. I have not come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law or complete the law. So when Jesus, uh, when Jesus gives these, uh, these, uh, these, uh, paradoxes, if you will, or or uh, uh, contrasts, we need to make sure that we grab what he's saying there. So we first look at the traditional interpretation beginning there in verse number 1, and it starts off with, ye have heard, and and it it begins there in verse 21. We see the second one in verse 27. We see another one in verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, and verse 43. Uh, So several of these are used. Now, if we look at all of them together, and over time, and over the next several weeks, we'll see each of them, uh, but I'm going to refer to a few of them later on to help us to understand uh, the this one and really kind of set the stage for an understanding of all of them. This is not one particular Bible verse that Jesus is quoting here. There is there's not a verse that says thou shalt not uh, verse 21 there. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in the danger of the judgment. It's actually a combination of two passages of Scripture. You probably recognize the first one there. It's found in Exodus 20:15. It's the sixth commandment: Don't kill or don't murder. Uh, more specifically it's it's not necessarily uh forbidding war and it's also not forbidding hunting all right so it's 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 it don't murder but then the second part is not found in the ten Commandments God, Moses did not uh, come down the mountain with this second part inscribed on them. they came later we can find them if you want to read it later it's in numbers thirty five and verse thirty in Deuteronomy chapter sixteen as well you read about how that God spent a lot of time Teaching the people how to deal with uh, transgressions when you do when someone does murder, this is what happens. and And there, uh, Numbers talks about having counsel and having a, having a court, basically a court system for when offenders of the law uh, would uh, be we be captured or or you know when it was found out that they did, then they would stand before that counsel, They would stand before that judgment, and this is what uh, this is what the verse is referring to. Uh, so these are these are not one one verse, but actually two verses, two statements that have been kind of put together. And we're going to put that piece on the shelf and come back to that in just a moment. It's important for us to understand, number two, who said this? It says there in uh, verse number 21, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Uh, there's, uh, this is originally, this is speaking of Moses because it was the one who gave them the law, but it's not necessarily saying that this is what the scripture said, Okay. So, in, just in case you're, you're, you're thinking that this is the scripture said that uh, this is what we're supposed to do and now Jesus is, is, is flipping it. If, if we come out with, if we, if we think of it that way, then Jesus is contrary to the scriptures. He's not saying you've heard because it's in the Bible. He's saying you've heard what has been said. Basically, boil it all down to what Moses brought to the people and how over time the teachers of the law have understood it, have applied it, and have interpreted it. Those, those things there. So this is the traditional this is how it's always been done. It's always you've been you've been taught this over your time and over your grandparents time and their grandparents time. And, and for thousands of years, all the way back to when the the first uh, time the law was read, this is how it's been understood up till this point. But I say unto you. So if we think about it that way, it help us to understand a little bit better what's going on. So this is not exclusively the law. This is rather how the law has been understood and how the law has been taught over many years. Uh, For instance, if you want to look in verse 43 with me, one of the last ones that Jesus does this, you have heard but I say. He says in verse 43, you have heard that it would have been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us to hate our enemy. That The law does not tell us to hate our enemy. In fact, the law tells us to Love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's, it's not saying that we, we are to, we are, it's okay to love certain people and hate them because in just a moment, Jesus is going to say, love your enemies. So there is no verse that tells us it's okay to hate our enemies. What he's saying here is that you have been told this, this must be how it is. And so over time, it's just the way that, that we are, we read the scriptures and then we try to understand them and apply them. And then as teachers of the law, we say, okay, folks, here's what the Bible says. Here's what it means. And here's what you need to do with it. That's what I'm trying to do right now. That's what we do in Sunday school. That's what we do every time we come. What's important for us to do, as I mentioned last week, is that we make sure we get it right. And we get what Jesus meant for us to understand rather than what I think. What I think really doesn't matter. I mean, talk to my wife, talk to my kids. What I say doesn't really matter. But what Jesus says really does matter. And it's important that we understand what Jesus meant. Uh last Sunday night we looked at why we oh uh, that's why we have the spirit of God. For Paul explains that uh who knows the mind of someone uh better than that the man of that uh, the spirit of that man. The spirit of a man knows the mind of that man. And so if we want to understand the mind of God, we need the spirit of God, which is why he gave us his spirit. So that as we read the scriptures, we have the spirit of God, we can have the mind of Christ. And it is possible then for us to read these things and understand this is what he really meant. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to get it right every time, but it means that we don't have to get it wrong. We can understand it because God has enabled us to understand his word. All right, so then, this is what Jesus had said up to this time. Or I'm sorry, this is what the the teaching had been up to this time. Hey, don't kill. If you kill, you're in danger of the judgment. So now Jesus takes this and resets everything, if you will. He pushes that reset button that gets it all back to its factory default settings of the law. But I say unto you, verse 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall uh, say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So, again, Jesus is not contradicting the law, but rather giving us God's original and complete meaning of it. And he's saying, if you're angry with your brother, you have killed him in your heart. He'll say it just again uh, in the next paragraph when he talks about adultery. Uh, Don't just commit adultery. Uh, Also, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It's the same idea here. Don't kill, but also being angry also is murder in the heart? It's a it's a, a different degree of murder, if you will. Murder isn't exclusive to the outward action; it also applies to what is what is inside and supposedly hidden. We can hide anger a little easier than we can hide murder, right? Unless you watch enough cop shows and you know how to uh, do the the perfect crime, uh, it's a little easier to hide anger than it is to hide murder and but jesus is saying here that both of these break god's law now we don't have the time or uh to go into uh these different uh, things there's a, there's the phrase there that says without a cause and and there is uh, a form of anger that is righteous uh, and there's verses there if you want to look at those god is angry with the wicked every day psalm seven eleven. uh psalm 4 tells us to be angry and sin not the new testament tells us that in ephesians as well as possible to have anger and yet not be sitting But Jesus here is highlighting the danger of anger and specifically the consequences of this type of anger. Notice how he, it seems to escalate here. He says that, uh, if you're angry with your brother, uh, then you're in danger of the judgment. If you call your brother Raka, does anybody, has anybody ever called their brother Raka? No, your brother would be like, what? What do you mean? You know, he wouldn't take it as insulting as supposed to be. Uh, did you ever watch the old Charlie Brown? Anybody ever seen old Charlie Brown stuff? And I mean, Lucy always called uh, Charlie Brown. She called him a blockhead. That's what Raka means. Now, if someone called me a blockhead, I would—I'd probably take it as insulting as someone called me Raka, because that's like—that's not really insulting. It's like being insulted by a 4 year old you know, Get away! But uh, this is this is this is the the insult that that of the time that would have uh, would be. It, it's almost a, a swear word in in this in this way being used there, and they're saying that. Uh, you're, you're, you're insulting there, you're displaying anger that you have. You don't call them a friend uh, when you're happy with them. You don't call them names like this. Or even later on, he says, thou fool, uh, you're in danger of hell fire. So uh, these are insults. These are things, uh, these are terms that are used to display a contempt that I have for another person. When I'm very angry with you, I say these types of words, and what I'm doing is I'm venting the anger that I have in my heart and I'm showing you how angry I am by by calling you these things. I'm assaulting your character. I'm assaulting um, your very being. Uh, and and, the, the, and these are types of terms that are meant to disrespect you. I'm not showing you respect by calling you a blockhead or a fool or a moron or a, or an idiot or whatever. I am showing that I'm angry and I'm frustrated with you, and I wish I could I wish I could kill you, but I'm just going to call you a name instead. Now. If, you ha- if I had to choose, which I would rather you do to me, I would definitely take the insult, the worst kind of insult you can think of. But Jesus here is not saying that there is one is okay and one is not okay. He's saying that, that murder and anger are both at the same level in, in light of the consequences that they bring. Now, what's wrong with being angry? I want to just take a few moments and, and talk about that before we come back to uh, the, the, the reason that Jesus is even included. this. But what, what's the matter with anger, as I said? i mean wouldn't it be better to be angry with someone have you ever been angry with anybody before i mean i think we could all raise our hand there it'd be easier to figure out who's never been angry with someone before and that's just someone who's never lived with another person at any point in time in their life because if you live with other people you get angry with them because uh they don't do the things the way that you want them to do they insult you they offend you they uh maybe because of misunderstandings or whatever it may be uh you uh, get married and you know exactly what it means to get angry with someone sometimes or you have children you know exactly what it means to be angry with or you are a child and you live with parents who frustrate you, you know what it means to be angry and honestly from a human perspective we got to ask why is it such a big deal to be angry I mean it's better than killing someone isn't it let me give you a couple of reasons why and some verses you can look through later on uh, as homework if you will Uh, Why why anger is wrong because number one anger is a work of the flesh in Galatians 5 when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit love joy peace and all those things right before that is a list of the works of the flesh and um, among those is anger it's something that God says is not something that I produce in you as the Spirit of God indwells me he does not produce anger he produces peace. He produces love, he produces joy, not anger or wrath, and that 's what and it be, so it 's a fruit of uh, the flesh it 's a work of the flesh, and so anger is wrong because it is not what God is doing in me it 's not part of the work that Jesus is doing and performing in me number two, because as James teaches us that anger man 's anger doesn 't produce the righteousness of God James one twenty the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God so Anger is wrong because it's not doing in me what needs to be done. It does not accomplish that which Christ desires to accomplish in our lives, which is the righteousness of God. Notice what it does produce. Number three, it produces strife, fighting, tension, turmoil there, and it overwhelms a man. Several verses there. I'd like you to turn to one of them Proverbs 29, verse 22. If you want to go over there, keep your place there in Matthew 5. But Proverbs 29. And verse 22, you can look at the others later, but let me just show one of them Two, Proverbs 29 and verse 22 says, an angry man stirreth of strife and a furious man abounded in transgression. So here, the two results of anger, strife and transgression, it leads me to sin. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And this is why anger is such a big deal. Uh, we can say, well, anger's not that bad. But Jesus says, it is that bad. It is bad enough that I'm going to say you're in danger of the council, you're in danger of judgment, and you're in danger of hell. For anger. Which means, kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, that if I never kill anybody, but I get angry with people, I'm just as in danger of hell as if I never get angry and I absolutely love and adore the people that I murder. I'm not angry with you. I'm just killing you. Jesus says this. You've you got the same punishment, the same consequences. It is uh, it, and that and that is the, the view that God has of anger. So why does Jesus teach here, specifically teach his disciples here, his followers? Why is Jesus telling us that anger is wrong? That Anger should be uh, should be avoided, should be put away because ultimately anger destroys the unity within the body of Christ. We're, we are one in Christ and anger is that which separates and divides us. And when I'm angry with you and I call you those names, that doesn't draw you closer to me. That doesn't make us closer together. You don't, we don't, we don't, uh, want to hang out after we've, we've gone through a a big fight where we're, we're venting at our frustrations at each other and we're calling each other names. We usually, we walk away after we throw things at each other first and we make all kinds of promises and threats and, and 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 we lose our temper and we, we storm out of the room and it takes time for us to come back and there's a lot of apologizing and, and 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 eating eating crow and all that stuff that we have to do but it doesn't draw us together we don't say you know what i feel that we're much stronger now because you called me an idiot thank you for building me up by calling me a moron i needed that today no we don't do that it, it, that, that detracts from the building up. It 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 actually it eats away at what I'm what I'm trying to build up. It would be like building a house, but having a guy on the team that while you're trying to build, he's going around uh, undoing everything that you've been trying to do. You're building the walls, and he's going around with a crowbar pulling all the nails out. It doesn't help. You could probably work a little faster than him and and finally uh, finish the house, but he's not helping any. And Jesus is saying here that that's what anger does to the body of Christ. And that's what Jesus is going to show us in the following illustrations. Now, let's look at these illustrations. We'll, we'll talk about them briefly, but then tonight I really want to come back and unpack them because there's so much there. But he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest thou that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, Whilst thou art in the way with them, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee the judge, and the judge deliver thee the officer, and thou be cast in the prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now, if we we state in this first passage here what Jesus is contrasting the two different interpretations, there is nothing wrong with either statement. Sp- speaking of the the statement that Jesus says, you've heard uh, that it was said of those of old time. Firstly, thou shalt not kill, and number two, whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. There's nothing wrong with either of those statements. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, a preacher of, of long ago, explained that the problem here lies in the combining of these two statements. When I take these two passages of scripture and I put them together, I actually, um, I do, I do I do it in injustice. By doing that, by combining these two thoughts, these two passages, I severely handicap God's original intent of do not murder. I put a limitation on it. I say, this is all that it means, and that's not all that it really means. It's not what God intended for uh, us to understand when He said, thou shalt not kill. By adding the second statement about being in danger of the judgment to the first, I limit the full scope of the first commandment, or the first part of it, thou shalt not kill, to the physical act of murder only. Okay, I'll explain that in a little bit more in just a minute. But uh, number two, it also reduces the consequences to only physical ones. Okay, So get what I'm trying to say, that if I take don't murder, and if you do murder, you're in danger of the judgment, and I put them together, what I've done is I have limited the interpretation or the understanding, the full meaning, the complete meaning of what it means don't murder, and I limit the consequences of murder to only physical consequences. Follow me. There is no spiritual implication in this way. In other words, the teaching over time had become, don't murder, because if you do, you'll get into a lot of trouble, and you'll have to answer to the courts. And if you murder, you will die. Now, that isn't wrong, but it isn't all wrong. Right, either. There's no mention here of in this way of doing it, uh, there's no mention of answering to God for breaking his law. I mean, why do we break, why do we obey the laws? So that we don't get in trouble? Or because God told us not to? That's that's really what that's what it really boils down to. Why are why do you not kill anybody? If you have never killed anybody, why why not? It's a weird question to ask in church. Why haven't you killed anybody? is it because you're afraid you'll get caught? Because here's what happens. If, if God doesn't want us to avoid murder just so that we avoid the death penalty. Because there's a there's greater reason not to commit murder. If the only reason that I don't commit murder is that I might face punishment, what will happen when I think I can get away with it? If I, if I feel like no one's going to catch me, no one's going to find out, I can commit murder... And if the only reason that stops me before from murdering is, I might get in trouble. When that is removed, <laughs> you better run because I'm not going to get caught. But when I do it for a much higher reason, because God knows, because God doesn't want me to, it doesn't matter what the law is that man says. I follow a higher law, and that, that keeps me from murdering. If they, Okay, let me ask you a question. If the if the Congress came out tomorrow and said, uh, we've decided to uh kind of trim down the the, the code, if you will, the, the Constitution, and so we've decided to no longer make it illegal to murder people, would that change how you behave? Would you say, Oh, well that this changes everything? Or hopefully, as Christians, we would say, well, I, I, I don't really, I wasn't murdering because you told me I'm not supposed to. I murdered because he told me I'm not supposed to. And I, and, and I do it for a, a higher reason. And so if the only reason that we, that we uh, don't commit murder, for uh, staying with Jesus' example here, is that we don't want to die, then what stops us when we think we're not going to be caught? This is the danger of having a limited interpretation. By limiting it only to the physical act, I can walk away Pleased and satisfied with myself, because hey, I've never killed anybody, and I, I hope I can speak for all of you. Neither have you, and we can walk away. We can walk out of church today, and if all that it tells us is don't kill people, let's all pat ourselves on the back because we have now pleased God. We have done the impossible. I mean, we we have we have uh, managed to get through life. Not killing people. I mean, I mean, let's give ourselves applause there. You think no, no, no. There's, there's, there's got to be more to that. But when I think of it that only that way, in such a, a small, narrow-minded uh, viewpoint, I believe then that I, be, that I, I'm okay with God. God must be happy with me. God must be pleased with me. Everything must be good between He and I because I've never killed him. But when Jesus. Broadens the scope, and he says that if you call your brother an idiot, if you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hell. That changes things, because I have never killed anybody. I'll, I'll be very transparent with you right now. I've never the the, the search committee never asked me that question, um, and and I don't know that it needs to be asked, but they didn't ask. But just in case you've got to ask, no, I have never killed anybody. But I have been angry with people. I've been angry a bunch of times. And Jesus is saying there that those consequences are the same with God. I stand guilty now before God. I don't walk out of here feeling like everything is all great. I'm not okay because now anger is on the table. And once again we see here that Jesus shows us that our view of righteousness is not enough to please God just because you haven't killed anybody God does not is not impressed because that's not the whole law it's part of it don't kill people you can't kill people and please God, but that's not the only thing you have to do if you want to please God. my righteousness as i as i as I'm confronted with this this fact of anger that we all deal with, my righteousness cannot reach the level that God requires, and yet again, I fall short of the glory of God. Now he gets into this passage in verse beginning in verse twenty three, and he shifts the perspective. Not, he's not talking about my anger anymore. He's talking about my brother's anger. Notice did you catch the the, the shift there in viewpoints there? he's for the first two verses there he was talking about hey you don't be angry but then he says now if you're at church if you're at the temple there and you're and you're you're presenting your sacrifice and you realize that your brother is angry with you now there's a whole bunch of instruction about that and then in the next verses he talks about how that someone is upset with you and they have an accusation against you and what you should be doing and he and he shifts this this perspective there and and as i said there's a lot to it so we won't try to unpack it all right now but let's just let me briefly explain what's going on here he says you're at the temple you're you're at you've actually gotten through the altar and if you understand all the old testament uh customs and things as they went through the different stations at the temple uh this was not like coming to church sit down an hour later we're done this was this was a long a long uh process and specifically jesus is speaking to people in galilee who didn't live next door to the temple in jerusalem this was uh, many, many miles away, and so this was a big deal to go, and this was the big event. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're in the middle of worship, and all of a sudden you realize, my brother back home, my Christian brother, has something against me. What does he say? He doesn't say, continue your worship and get back home and immediately fix this. He 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 throws this up as something so uh, outrageous that it helps us to understand the gravity of, of, the, of the event of reconciliation. He says, stop what you're doing. Stop worship. Leave the middle of the song. Leave your gift at the altar. Get up and walk out. Go all the way back home. Make things right with your brother. Come all the way back to the temple and then finish offering your gift because it's that big of a deal. The, the reconciliation, the restoration... Of a relationship is that big of a deal. He says it, uh, he applies it to us as on our way to the court. He says, hey, if your accuser is taking you to court, which is kind of that would have been the procedure. Like I got something against you. Here we go. This is I'm not serving you with a lawsuit. I'm taking you right now. We're going to see the judge. And he says, while you're on the way, make things right with your accuser. Figure out what, what you need to do to make things right. Because as soon as you get to the judge, it's out of your hands. It's It's the way that we settle things out of court. Instead of having to go through all of that, I'm going to settle in and out of court. Now, uh, uh, there are things where we have to let the judges decide. But if it's something that, if you have a problem with me and it's such a big deal to you that we need to go to court over it, I should be willing to do whatever I need to do to satisfy whatever. Why are? Why do you? What do you have? What do you need? What, What? How do you feel wrong? Uh, by me do do you do i owe you something or do you feel that i owe you something legitimately or not whether or not i think it's right or not i need to try to figure out what's wrong what's the deal here what what can i do now to make it right because and jesus says that if you don't do it then you're going to do it before a judge and then it's out of your hands and then he says you will pay In or out of jail, you will pay. He says the judge will take you to the officer, which means you've been found guilty, and he throws you into jail, and he says you'll stay there until you've paid the uttermost farthing. The farthing there was one of the lowest forms of currency, saying, basically, you will pay every last penny. You won't get out until every bit of it has been paid. Either way, you're going to pay, so why not do it without all of the hassle? and restore and here's a here's a sidebar or on the other side of that even if you don't aren't found guilty he says you're in danger or you're liable to this you, you you may not get away but even if you win the court case you you don't have a brother anymore you don't have that relationship anymore you've lost that and so by trying to take care of this on the way I'm taking care of two things number one a supposed debt but I'm also fixing a relationship that is more way more important than any debt, any material or possession that I that that you may feel that I owe you, or that my accuser may feel, and I, and I kind of feel that that he's he's specifically talking about accusers being our brothers here, and that's what uh, Jesus is saying here. Make it a big deal. The ultimate goal here in both of these illustrations is reconciliation with a brother, whether or not I think it's a real thing that he has against me. Jesus says. You think that if you remember that a brother has something against you, don't say, Yeah, but that's stupid. I don't need to take care of that now. Or he just needs to grow up. Or he just needs to get over it. Or she just needs to get past this, uh, or realize that I didn't, I said I was sorry. No, he says, No, go home and make things right. To the point when the brother says, Okay, I'm satisfied You owed me a dollar fifty. Remember that time when you asked? For 20 bucks and you never and you ne- and I gave it to you and you haven't paid me back, and I still hold that against you. Jesus, says, fix it. Take care of whatever needs to be taken care of so that you can restore the relationship because that is what Christ wants: unity within his body. And that's what we ought to strive for. If if my brother feels that he has a real issue with me, it is my responsibility and my obligation to make things right with Him. So this passage here is a reestablishment, if you will, of the sixth commandment as what God intended it for. And God does not want us to kill one another, but He also demands that we not harbor anger in our hearts towards each other. Anger can reveal itself in outward responses such as these insults and name-calling, but it also leads to murder. Ultimately, anger is that which divides God's people. And Jesus says, I want my followers to be united and unified in him. As we follow Jesus, we should strive to keep God's laws as exactly as he has given them. So if up to this point, all you have focused on was don't kill people. That's part of it. Okay, at least you got that part. But there's so much more. Don't focus on the one that you forget about the other. I can promise you that if you control your anger, the murder thing will kind of take care of itself. We don't accidentally murder people. Uh, we, don't act, we don't murder the people we love. And if we're dealing with anger, the other things take care of themselves. We, 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 that means that we are, are as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to prioritize the maintenance and the restoring of healthy personal relationships. This is between me and you. It is very connected to the relationship this way. My vertical relationship, my, my, my relationship between myself and God is very connected to my relationships in this world and in this life with you. If I can't have good relationships with you guys, Jesus is saying, you don't have a good relationship this way. If I can't forgive this way, there's no forgiveness this way. And it's very important that we understand that. It's not enough that we merely abstain from outward negative actions. We must also resist the natural, the sinful, inward natural, sinful, inward responses that lead to that behavior. And when a break is found in the chain of our unity in Christ, we are to actively and intentionally and urgently seek to restore its full strength. These verses tell me that it is not enough not to murder, simply to focus on the negative. God is not satisfied simply because I haven't killed people. To truly please God I must have a heart that is right with Him and with my fellow Christians. I am responsible for my inner thoughts, for the negative feelings that I have towards another person. I'm also responsible for the positive behavior of restoring the broken relationships. I remind you of what the Apostle John wrote in his, in his letter. He said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is the, this is the first interpretation that Jesus takes us to. and he says, hey, it's not enough just to not kill people. Don't even be angry with them. And a little bit later, He's going to talk about loving those people. And all of these build on one another. Let's not limit and isolate and, 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 and try to understand it in our own way and say, okay, I must be good with God because I did what I think I need to do. We look at what Jesus says, did I do this? And, and as, and as we saw last week, as I, as I realized that this is impossible, that I have been angry with people and I am in danger and that I am liable for the judgment, I look to God and say, I can't do this. And I realize that it is not my righteousness that it depends on. It is the imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness that he credits on my account. They said, this is the righteousness that I have. And then he enables me to do Some of these seemingly impossible things, like don't be angry with people, but it only comes through the power of Christ. Love God so loved us, we ought also to love.